Caitlin, that wasn't very nice of you to get up here and cry and stuff. Seems like my eyes are watering for some reason. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that story. Bonk. Sorry about that. Thank you for being here this morning, and uh, thank you for wearing all them ugly sweaters. They look amazing to me, and um, look fantastic. The uglier, the better. We're in the middle of a uh, series entitled Perfect Imperfection, and um, I think it, it helps to uh, have the, the ugly sweaters on because they, they're, um, you know, they're, they're perfectly imperfect. They're... Um, I noticed I put my jacket on this morning, and the seam, I think, is supposed to run right down the middle of my back, but I don't think it does. I think it's off-centered, which is even better than makes it so much better. Uh, but I think that the, uh, the whole, and I've mentioned this before, that the, the purpose of this series is to let us all know and to uh, emphasize the point that God's perfection can be accomplished uh, through an imperfect us. Through, through your imperfection, God's perfect will can be accomplished. And um, this morning, we're going to look at a, a, a guy that uh, in, in a lot of ways is esteemed to be the Christian of all Christians. Like the, the, the Christian superhero um, that ever was. I mean, if you read the entire New Testament... Um, he's it. He's the one that everybody looked up to. Most people would consider him the best Christian ever. If, if you aren't a Jew, which most of us aren't, and you're a Christian, you have this man to thank. Many of the hardships this man faced were due to the fact that he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel was not just for a certain type of people, but for the entire world. If you read the New Testament, this man is the author of the majority of the New Testament. 13, I believe. Is that right? Somebody help me out. 13 epistles? Is that right? Okay. When I said it, it didn't sound right. For many people, he's, uh, he is spirituality personified. This man was not a fraud, but his walk with God was a lot more than what we think of him as. It was a lot more like your walk and my walk. So we're going to look at Paul. We're going to look at the perfection that he, that he had and, and the great things that he got accomplished. And then we're also going to look at the imperfection, the bad days that he experienced. Let's look to God in word of prayer and then we'll go to uh, Acts chapter 7 to start with. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for uh, being our God and we thank you for allowing us to be together this morning. We thank you for um, stories like we just heard about how our love can affect those around us. God, I pray that we will allow your spirit to work within us today and develop with this, within us a uh, reliance on you. God, we pray that you'll bless with that today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Spirituality personified. Um, go with me to Acts chapter 7. We, find, we start finding a story. And this story actually starts with another man. His name is, is Stephen. And he was preaching to a crowd. It must have been a pretty rough crowd because they didn't like what he was preaching. So they started picking up rocks and started throwing at them, throwing, at, throwing these rocks at him. Um, 
At one point, he was knocked unconscious. We're told he prayed, almost like Jesus did. Said, to not hold this against these people. Forgive them, because they don't know what they are doing. There was a young man present at this stoning in Acts chapter 7. His name was Saul. He was a very zealous young man, probably like our modern-day millennials. Don't hate me, millennials. It's the truth. Very cause-oriented, but thoroughly confused about right and wrong. Um, This man, Saul, continued pulling Christians out of their homes and church buildings, imprisoning them and putting them to death. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. We find all that in Acts chapter 7, 8. Jump with me to Acts chapter 9. We're actually going to do some reading here. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I know some really bad people, but to utter threats with every breath, that's impressive. So he went to the high priest, verse 2. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He called that the way. The, the, the Christian life was the way at that point. He found them there. He, he wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. And he was approaching Damascus on his mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of of someone's voice, voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus, verse 10, named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Ananias answered correctly. Look what he said. Yes, Lord. Verse 11, the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Must be opposite of um, San Francisco. Um, crookedest street in the world. Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, where, where you, uh, when you get there, ask for a man from, from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Well, that's kind of a bad spot to be, right? You get a vision, and God tells you that he's giving someone else a vision. At this point, Ananias can't say no. If Ananias says no, (laughs) God just gave Paul the wrong vision. So rewind. Verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about this terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. The Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road 
has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like shells, scales fell off of Saul's eyes and his, he regained his sight. Then he got up and went and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Isn't it funny how God just took his greatest enemy and made him his friend? God sees people differently than we see people. Please notice, often what we want is for God to just come down and strike them dead. But really what happens is God hits them, all right? But oftentimes he hits them with a load of grace and a load of mercy. Now watch what happens. The entire rest of this chapter talks about how Saul begins his transformation and becomes the person that God wants him to be. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he was preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't, isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they ask? And didn't he come to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Verse 22, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Jews. Did you hear that? The Jews couldn't refute his proofs. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They watched for him, him day and night in the city gates so they could murder him. But Paul was told by their, about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. That should have been Saul's first clue. This is not going to be an easy life. I mean, this is the first kind of really event that I've had to even preach at. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm getting lowered in a basket outside the wall to escape. Pretty rough. Verse 26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul was preaching boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. This guy had a testimony. He went from persecutor to preacher. This guy had a story to tell. Can you imagine having Paul at a retreat or a camp? Man, wouldn't that be great? This guy is, is one you would want to hear his story. I can imagine when, when Paul would get up in front and start to speak, the kids would get real suddenly quiet. They would get in tune as he spoke of the extremes of his life. His ability to pull examples from stories of the Old Testament would just be amazing. The way he would speak about how it relates to Christ and, and his sin-covering blood that was shed. What a giant of a spiritual man. What are some of your favorite passages Paul has written? Think about it for a second. 
Think about some of your favorite passages that Paul has read. For just, I mean, just I instantly I just started writing. I've been spending a lot of time in 2 Timothy. And Paul wrote the book of 2 Timothy. And we find a lot of passages of scripture in 2 Timothy that just roll off my tongue because I'm so familiar with them. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and handles accurately the word of truth. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? They just, they just roll. There's so many verses. Preach the word in season and out. Correct, rebuke, encourage. Great patience. Careful instructions. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. Kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Come on, that wasn't a rhetorical. Tell me the verses. That... Okay, excellent. <laughs> Philippians. Give me some more. Okay, Philippians 4.8. Good. What else? What other verses that Paul wrote that, you, that stand out in your mind? Okay. What is Devote yourselves to prayer. Okay, devote yourselves to prayer. Good. What did you say? I press on. Press on. Excellent. Can anybody else think of more? What's that? Yes. Uh-huh. Excellent. Sorry? Yeah, 4.13. Good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is that First Corinthians? Yeah. Okay. Good. Excellent. What a picture of Christianity personified. We're going to move past the perfection. We're going to go a little bit deeper into Paul's walk. God allowed Paul to write all of these amazing scriptures and more. When you're tempted, when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out. You've fallen really rough times. All things to work, will work together for good, right? We read it this morning. When you're feeling weak and you don't know how to carry on, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We find all these cliched verses that tend to... We tend to grab those verses and we tend to beat each other up with them. We tend to beat ourselves up with them when we're feeling like we got a bad day coming on. We need to look past those into the context of what Paul was really dealing with. We want to look at the other passages of Scripture beyond the cliche-worthy stuff. We're going to look at the imperfection. Real quick, quick some, some passages of Scripture that bring us to the reality of Paul's life. Number one, with every clear path comes potholes. With every clear path comes potholes. Even when God gave him a clear direction, there was always obstacles and hurdles. When God led him in a room of opportunity, there seems to be That that same room seemed to be full of of scary and and painful villains. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8 says, In the meantime, I will be staying here in Ephesus until the festival Pentecost. There is a wide open door for great work here. But don't stop there. Look at it. Although many oppose me. With every clear path comes potholes. Maybe I'm the only one, but, but, but when God leads me through an open door, most of the time I think that God should get all of the potholes out of the way. Yeah. He, should, he should provide a, a clear slate, a clean spot 
for, for his work to continue on. Whatever task, whatever, whatever person you're trying to help should just be, it should just be wide open and there shouldn't be problems. I expect the enemy to run the other way. I feel like if God is leading in a particular way that it should be, it should be clear sailing. So many times when I dive in, there are sharks waiting to eat me alive. When I expect, expect clear sailing, it seems like the wind dies down. I know God wants me in this, and I, and I know he wants me in this direction. I know he's pointing in this direction. Why is there so much trouble? Maybe it's a job opportunity or a path to mend a relationship. Maybe it's a college acceptance letter. Don't we expect a perfectly clear path? Could even be a, a relationship, a marriage relationship. God brought the two of us together. Now it just seems like on every corner, there's a giant pothole. As soon as the villains show up in our opportunities, we think that, that God must not be in it and we bail out. Even when you're the best, the best of the best spiritually. We saw last week that the wisest man in the world had attacks. He was dealing with problems. He was dealing with situations. Even clear paths have potholes. Secondly, he struggled with temptation. He struggled with temptation. And he didn't always win. You have to read this one later, but uh, you know what it's, what it's like. In Romans chapter 7, turn there and you'll, you'll start to understand. Romans chapter 7, about starting in verse 15 to about verse 25. It's amazing how this passage seems to describe the exact way I feel and oftentimes live. The very thing I want to do, I do not do. The very thing I, I don't want to do, I do. It's like there's this unwritten law in our hearts. Prevents us from getting accomplished exactly what we really want to do. Let's be honest. Raise your hand. Is there any of you that ever feel like that's you sometimes it's like you really want to do something and you just just don't do it and and you really want to stay away from those things that cause you trouble and and are sin but it just seems like you do them anyway the rest of y'all are liars i'm not just talking about diets i'm not just talking about exercise well, somehow we somehow get this idea that when we get to this place spiritually where we won't have temptation anymore. Newsflash, it's not going to happen. We're going to be tempted. We're going to fall. We might get smart enough and wise enough to not hang out in those wrong places, kind of like we talked about last week. But there's always going to be those days. There's always going to be those times, like Paul said, I don't want to do what I want to. And sometimes I do what I don't want to. I don't care if you've been a Christian 30 minutes or 30 years. If you're living in Clicheville where you think, if, if only I have enough faith, I would win. It's not going to happen. Ultimate victory over sin and temptation won't come until we're dead. It won't happen. And if we really take, this, take on this understanding, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't, wouldn't we be much more gracious for all those of us around that are having struggles, we would be so much more patient with 
with others. And we would be probably even better off ourselves because we would be more open to discuss our own failures. We wouldn't get so high and mighty and think our had to hide our own struggles. Paul struggled with temptation and he didn't always win. Number three, he was stressed. He was stressed out and he was depressed until good news came. He was stressed and he was depressed until good news came. Have you ever been in a really bad situation? Stressful, depressing? Not just a bad day, but like a series of struggles, a real battle. What happens when the situation suddenly changes for the better? Like suddenly changes for the better. What happens? Yeah, you sort of a sigh of relief. But for some reason, I have a hard time snapping out of the gloom. I have this residual uh, bad attitude that just kind of carries, even though it's... 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at it with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I don't remember if this one... Did I, pile it? Yeah, I did. I piled it all on the screen. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. Squished it somewhere for some reason. I'll have to do some uh, editing on that next time. Well, we face conflict from every direction, right? The bat- with battles from outside and fear from within. What? Did you see that? Paul said he had fear. I thought Paul was a giant of a man spiritually. No, he had fear. But God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but... So was the news he brought of encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. Paul was concerned. He thought the church in Corinth had turned against him and he had fallen, had fallen into, they had fallen into deception. He was discouraged. Even though he knew it was God they were rejecting, he was discouraged. He'd done so much work pouring into these people. He was feeling stressed and afraid. But then he read his coffee cup scripture that he had written to the church in Philippi, and he got all better. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. No, it's not what happened. Then Paul got down on his knees while reciting some scripture and spending some time in prayer, and he felt better. It's not what it says either. Look at what it says. What happened? He got good news. He got good news through Titus. Titus brought the report that the church was doing great and that they, they were now behind him. They were supporting him. They were in full support of him. Paul needed that community just like we all do. There was a struggle. Paul was discouraged, but he was encouraged by good news. Number four, he struggled with pride. What? Spiritual giant struggles with pride? Yeah. He paid a painful price to beat it. 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 12, um, starting in verse 7, it says, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. I don't know about you, but when you, we read the, the passage of Scripture this morning in our discussion group that listed all of the factors and cons- circumstances that, that led Paul to a bad day or led Paul to a series of bad days. Once I got through that, I, I thought about this verse that said, 
So to keep me from becoming proud, how could anybody become proud after dealing with all of that trouble? He must have been a proud man. It says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer from Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In order to keep Paul from getting too prideful, God allowed him a thorn in the flesh. Something, when I told really what it is, was something that he had God asked God several times to take away. And God said no. Kept Paul humble. Realize we all struggle with pride. Understand it's common. But also understand God hates it. He's willing to allow Paul some sort of physical infirmity to keep him humble. Number five. He had a hard time figuring out what God wanted him to do. That's crazy. The spiritual giant of of a man, Paul, didn't know what God wanted him to do. Have you ever been there? You ever think, how do, how do other Christians or how do other, other people just always know what they should do and where they should go and what? I don't know. I don't get it. Paul had the same problem. Should I order steak or should I order fish? Where should I live? Where, who, who should I marry? I believe God gives us great freedom in things like those. God cares more about how we live than where we live. He cares more about how we do marriage than which Christian we marry. I love this about Paul. When he was looking into the wash of light just in front of him, he was, like the song said this morning, thy word is a lamp unto thy feet. He was looking into that small bit of light right in front of him. There were times that Paul couldn't figure out which way to go. I love it in Acts chapter 16. Paul's sitting there waiting for, waiting for uh, uh, a sign. He's trying to figure out where to go. Starting in verse about 6 through 10 there. He, he finds himself being a leader and he finds himself making a decision. All right, troops, we're going this way. Just after he makes that decision, he changes his mind. Oh, wait a sec. No, no, not that way. This way. This is going to be the best right here. And then, again, we see, okay, not that way either. We're going to go this way. Now I get it. There were times in Paul's life when he struggled because he didn't know what, what he was supposed to do next. But you know what's always clear? Never, never tell a lie. Always live a life of integrity. Don't slip into immorality. Those are always clear. Even when you're scared and don't know where to turn next, obey what you do understand. Live upright, trust in God. Paul didn't know all the details of God's agenda, but he understood the rules along the way. Don't freak out when you can't see the details of your future. Understand we're in good company, even if we do. Paul freaked out once in a while. He's like, whoa, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. And number six, the churches he planted were all messed up. <laughs> Why do you think these letters were written? Yeah. 
Why, why did Paul write to the church in Corinth? Why did Paul write to the church in Colossae? They were messed up. Why did he write to the Ephesians and to the Galatians? These churches were messed up. We have to realize as a church, if we don't accomplish all we think God wants us to do, once again, we're in good company. We're not going to lower the bar just so we can get over it, but we have to realize they were messed up too. The church in Corinth had a guy openly sleeping with his stepmom. Really? The church in Galatia, they, they were trying to live out their Christianity by obeying a bunch of, a bunch of rules. Been there. Done that. The list goes on and on. Colossians, Thessalonians, and even in Philippi, there was, there was small disputes. When you look back at the spiritual giant like Paul, oftentimes because he's dead, we tend to think that he had it all together. When we look back at a guy or a girl who has is, who is, who is passed, we tend to think they walked on water and their lives were great. But when it's us we're talking about, we trudge through the mud and life is difficult. Understand, if you're a Christian, when you die, you go to heaven. Spirituality is not a walk on top all the time. We often pound guilt on ourselves and others because we have this unrealistic idea of what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus simply means following Jesus. There's always going to be days when we're, we're light-footed. We're going we're gonna to be on top. There's always going to be days when we feel good about stuff. And we may even skip and click our heels. But there are going to be others when we feel like we're crawling through two feet of mud. Some days we feel encouraged and happy. But others we're going to feel stressed. And we're going to feel discouraged. Some moments will be overcoming temptation and sin. And others will be knocked flat on our backs by the enemy. So let's apply just a minute. Let's look beyond the religious coffee cup scriptures. Let's talk about real walk. What does it really look like? Some days are going to be rough. They're going to be tough. When you find someone struggling to crawl through a two-foot two foot of mud, don't shout a cliche from the rock that you're standing on. Get in the mud with them and crawl with them. Weep with those who weep. There are going to be days that are tough. And when it's tough, get going. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't walk out on commitments that you've made. My favorite verse for this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. If you don't have this one highlighted in your Bible, if it's not written down somewhere, make sure you highlight this one. This is the one you want to... You don't put it on coffee cups because that's just... I can't, can't do it. But look at this one. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised for in just a little while, the coming one will come and not, not delay. When it's tough, keep going. When you struggle, don't fake it. You don't have to fake it. Be honest about what you're going through. Don't ignore all the times when Paul tells us about his fears and struggles and stresses. We wouldn't know about these struggles if Paul hadn't written them down. When you struggle, don't fake it. Be real about it. 
We don't want to be a we don't want to be a pot of bad stew sitting around trying to see who has the worst sin. But but we also don't want to ignore when we're failing and we're more struggling. Never pretend to be something you're not. We throw ourselves into into pretending prison, really. It holds us from becoming what God really wants us to become. It stunts our growth. If you struggle, own it. Get help and then learn from it. Hypocrisy makes us look good, but it doesn't fix the sin issue. When you struggle, don't fake it. And last but not least, remember, you'll get through it. Like Paul, you will make it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, it says, For our present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that, is vastly out, that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. There will be tough days, even rough. When they happen, keep going. When you struggle, don't fake it. Remember, you will make it through. Paul was an amazing man. He was a great man. He was a spiritual giant. But he had tough days just like us. We don't always think about Paul's tough days. We don't always think about how he stressed over things and how he was discouraged about things and how he he struggled through all of the little bumps in life. But he did. And let's be encouraged by that. Let's be encouraged to the point that when we struggle, when we have those situations, when we have bad days, we can get up again. We can fight and make it through. Thank you for your attention this morning. Hopefully there's been some things that we've shared that can can bless your life and um, help you um, survive those bad days. And um, there's lots of them, and there will be more. Dad used to always tell me when we fell off our bikes and scraped our knees. We'd come in and we would act like it was the end of the world. Oh, no, it's horrible. My knee's, like, going to fall off. And rather than saying, oh, it'll be okay... Dad says, this won't be the worst. And it used to frustrate me like crazy when he said that. Really? That's not the kind of comfort we want right now. That's why we always had to go to mom to get the comfort. (laughs) But really, think about it. It was his way of telling us, hey, this isn't going to be, this is not the worst you're going to experience. Just suck it up. You'll be all right. Everybody's got to deal with things a little differently. So figure out your way. Figure out who to go to for that, uh, for that comfort.